So we're going to continue our uh, study on uh, godly success. We're going to talk about uh, governing the body a little bit tonight. Dusty asked me if I knew that song, a real quick story. Um, the, uh, I was asked to lead that song as an invitation one time right with uh, Ty Fleming when Ty Fleming was preaching. And y'all may have heard the sermon where he's marking with a click your heartbeat. And he said, now, as soon as I click that last time, you got to get up and jump in that song, man, because basically he's saying heart beats about every second, and then at some point it stops. And he wanted me, someday you'll stand, you know, and start that song. So that's the song we're going to sing. I, I, told, uh, I told Brother Dusty I'll never, ever sing that song without thinking about Brother Ty, because when it was all over, he said, man, you left me hanging. You didn't start it fast enough. So... Uh, Brother Ty is one of my dear friends. We're going to talk about governing the body the, um, this afternoon. Um, it's probably a little longer than it should be for an afternoon uh, sermon, so I uh, may skip through some stuff. But uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to start with a story found in Genesis, Genesis chapter 4. It's a story that probably most all of us are familiar with. It. Familiar with. It's about Cain and Abel. And it says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The King James Version says his countenance fell, or the look on his face became very bleak. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Lots, a lot, uh, this is a story that we're all familiar with, is, uh, as I said, a story that uh, talks about the first time a murder happens in the world. But I want to point out something at the very end of the story. It says right here, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. That's the position we, find, we all find ourselves in. Sin is crouching at the door. It desires to rule over us. And we've got to figure out a way to control our bodies and to control ourselves to where we do not give in to it. We have to rule over sin. Well, the only way we can do that, obviously, is with God's help. So we're going to talk about that. The important thing is that we figure out a, a way to rule over sin and to govern our bodies. Appreciated very much John's talk this morning where he helped us differentiate between those things that we should be focused on in this world and that future vision. And that is a big part or a big thing that helps us govern what goes on in our lives and over our bodies. The first thing I want to talk to, is, talk to you about is this concept of removing temptation. So temptation is that thing that comes before we ultimately sin. So if we can focus on that and if we can get that out of our life, then we have a better chance of not sinning. It says no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. 
But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So he's talking about idolatry here, but he promises something here that Cain didn't take advantage of. He promises us that no matter what the sin is that's, that, that's coming at us, he will give us a way of escape. He talked to Cain and he said, Cain, you've got to take care of that sin. You've got to rule over it. Don't let it rule over you. But Cain chose not to accept and not to accept the way out. In James it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt nor nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So it's important for us to understand from this point of temptation that that's not God. Remember the very first temptation that we have record of. The devil came to Eve and tempted her. Temptation, sin, it has all entered the world through the devil, not through God. God cannot be tempted by sin, nor does he tempt anyone with sin. That is the work of the devil. And so when we think about temptation, number one, we've, we've got to realize that God's going to, wait, God's going to make a way for us to escape that temptation. And we've also got to realize that God is not the one tempting us. That is the devil. So Luke chapter 22 says, When he came to the place, he said to them, this is Jesus, and them as his disciples, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So when we start thinking about Things that can help us avoid temptation. The first one or the first thing I want to point out to you is a prayerful life. I'll run through some others really quickly. Avoid situations and people that lead to the sin. If you've got a problem with alcoholism, don't go to a bar. So whatever those things are that tempt you to sin, get the people out of your life and the situations out of your life that cause you or tempt you to, towards that sin. Get help, brothers and sisters in Christ. Occupy yourself with good thoughts. We've got scripture that tells us to think on good things, gives us a list. Don't be discouraged. You're not perfect. Study the word and remember <clears throat> that God is, God is on your side and that you have to trust in him even when you are being tempted, right? He's not the one tempting you. He is the way of escape from temptation. So think about temptation and think about moving things um, out, of, out of your life and, out, and, and friends and whatever those situations are that tempt you, get them out of your life so you can take control of your body and what's going on. You know, we had an entire uh, series on a lot of this. Brother Mike talked to us about bodily exercise helps a little bit, but rather exercising yourself unto godliness Helps a lot. That's where it's all about. And so he talked to us about this whole concept of taking control of our lives and taking control of sin and using and, and help and, and allowing God to help us in that way. The second thing I want to talk about is um, let let the Lord drive. In other words, let the Lord be the one that's in control of your life, not you, not sin. There's a song that uh, one of the uh, a female, I don't remember her name, female uh, country and western stars sang, Jesus, take the wheel. 
I don't know what was in that song, but the concept is Jesus take over, Jesus take control, and um, we've got to trust in him that he uh, will take care of us. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this way my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So this concept of trust, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. So first of all, let's get temptation out of our life. Let's get those things that, that make us want to sin and let's get rid of them. Delete them. You know, the Bible tells us if there's something out there that offends us, if it's our eye, pluck it out. If it's arm, cut it off. This is the concept we're talking about, getting it out of our lives and getting it away from us so it doesn't tempt us. And the second thing is trusting in God, and we'll see why that is important as we go through the study. The second thing uh, I wanted to talk about is uh, there, we, we, sometimes we get involved between logic and feelings. And, and I, um, I actually was going down a road very different than the sermon ended up here. Because I was, uh, I was thinking about, you know, logically, we believe, you know, we, we, we have all this logic, and it's important that even that logically we obey and do what we're supposed to, even when we don't feel like it. But there are certain things that that's not the case. Um, for instance, when it comes to worshiping God, he doesn't say, I want you to logically worship me, right? He says, I want your heart, your soul, your mind, your body. I want everything. I want your existence. I want there, there's nothing escaping, nothing that you have escaped that, that doesn't need to be worshiping me and calling me almighty God and calling me holy and worshiping me because I created you. But there's other things like forgiveness where in Hebrews it tells us that, you know, you're not to remember it against me no more. Quit bringing it up. And so it's a very logical thing. Even love, the agape love that it talks in Corinthians, a very logical, action-oriented deal, not I want you to ugu and feel good about it. So there's agape love and the, and I forgot the Greek love for like you would, a husband and wife would love each other and have feelings for each other. So there are times in the Bible when it talks about, hey, you just need to logically do stuff. And Michael talks about Hebrews, and he said, it, it, I've heard him say that, you know, if you obey Hebrews and you remember it, remember it against me no more and blot it and forget it, then. Or not that you forget it, but if you do, if you just don't remember it against me anymore, if you'll just practice that, then sooner or later, the feeling of forgiveness can follow it as well. But you have to. Sometimes you have to start with the logical part. But anyway, um, so I wanted to talk about um, feelings for a minute. In Matthew chapter 15, it says, "You hypocrite." Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So obviously when we come to worship, it's not just about logic. It's also about feelings. He wants your entire being worshiping him. He doesn't want you just coming in and making lip service. He wants you involved. He wants your heart. He wants your mind. He wants everything focused on him. Secondly, we find this story in Psalms chapter 40 about David. It says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit out of the mud and mire. 
He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. So David was in a bad place. So this is, this is what uh, the, the introduction slide, hey, when you're just not feeling it, do it anyway. This is what I mean by that. David was in a bad place. It says he was in the mire. He was in the slimy pit, in the, mud, in the mud and the mire. He was in a bad place, but I want you to notice what he did and what he didn't do in Psalms chapter 40. In fact, the first verse tells us this, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry. And then he did that. He lifted me out of the mire. He lifted me out of the mud. He put my feet on solid ground. He gave me a song to sing. So what does waited patiently mean to us? And how do we wait patiently? Because I think we would probably misinterpret that. We would probably say waiting patiently just means sitting around doing nothing. means and I can wait patiently on the lake on a Sunday morning. I can wait patiently on a golf course Sunday morning. I can wait patiently a lot of different ways. But what did what what was David doing? What did the what did the what did the Hebrew words mean there? Well, first of all, it's not a passive waiting. It's not just sitting around. In fact, it's a very a very much eagerly seeking. David was 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 lamenting, he was thinking about it, he was meditating, he was worried about it maybe even. He's like, I just don't feel it. So it's not about stop praying. It's about praying to him and asking for help and being honest. It's not stop studying. It's look earnestly to Jesus and trust that he will meet you. It's not about quitting fellowship. It's about confessing to your brothers and sisters and praying with them. It's not about stop worshiping. It's about, as Brother Mike said, stop. Stop the world. Stop it from spinning on its axis. Take some private time. Meditate. Seek Him. Sing the song that He puts on your lips. That's what David did. And he said, the Lord found me. He heard me and He put a song back in my heart. He put my feet on solid ground. It wasn't just going about His daily worldly activities and all of a sudden the Lord tapped Him on the shoulder. He was seeking the Lord even though He wasn't feeling the connection. And the Lord brought him around and gave him that feeling. Secondly, or fourthly, <laughs> lost numbers. Fourthly, um, we've all heard this passage about taking, up, taking every thought captive. It's found in 2 Corinthians in uh, verse number 10, or chapter 10, verse number 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So this is Paul talking. He's writing about what he's been doing with uh, the churches. It may not be necessarily a um, command to every individual Christian, but what he is telling, what he is doing is giving us a recipe. He's saying, this is what I've been doing in my work. I've been going about to churches and I have been destroying arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. That's what I've been doing. I've been going and I've been destroying this. I've been, I've been, you, go, you go to Greece and you talk about mythology, he goes, I've been destroying all of that. 
I've been destroying every lofty argument that's against God. And once all of that's destroyed, then we can take captive our thoughts towards God. And that's the recipe that he gives us here in 2 Corinthians. In Romans chapter 6, very similar, maybe not, probably not a sister passage, but very similar thought. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. So he says, take your body as though, look at your body, govern your body as though it has been bought with a price because it has. It's been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. It's no longer in this world, a part of this world, as uh, Brother John talked to us very vividly about this morning. You've got to get away from these carnal things that are guiding your life and get focused on the eternal things that are guiding your life. So I'll summarize really quickly. Number one, remove temptations. Number two, trust in the Lord. Number three, work on your feelings. Take control of them. Work on your mind. Take control of your mind. And this is something that's um, is pretty important. Do all of this in advance, in advance of the sin. So let me give you an example. Um, five or six years ago, it's probably been longer than that now, maybe seven or eight years ago, I decided, so when, when um, I kind of made a change in my life and got refocused on the Lord and came back, I was worshiping here, but you'd see me on Sunday morning, you wouldn't see me Sunday afternoon, certainly wasn't staying for lunch. But I made a change in, in my life, and I came back. About that same time at work, there are vendors that come in uh, to our office, and they will take you wherever you want to go to lunch or whatever. And a lot of times, those lunch establishments would end up being a place that probably a Christian, a Christian man, shouldn't be. Ladies that aren't dressed the way you would want them to be dressed. Um, no, I'm not, you know, I don't know if I'm giving you hooters would be the example. All right, I'll just say it. Um, that's an example. It's a, it's a wing place where ladies walk around in real skimpy shorts and real skimpy tops. And I made a decision. I said, hey, um, it's certainly no place for a Christian. Later on, it was obviously, that years later, as I became an elder, it was obviously no place for an elder. But I made that decision and said, okay, here's, I'm not doing that anymore. So two months later, when a vendor come in and said, hey, let's all go to this place, I had already made the decision that that wasn't going to tempt me. I'd have made that decision, and so it was real easy for me to say, no, I'll, 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 I'll just stick around here. I've got work. I'll work through lunch. So I just worked through lunch or send somebody out to get me a hamburger or something. So it was real easy in advance if you make that decision in advance. If you make that decision about what a date looks like in advance, it's easier than when you're in the passions and the throes of what's going on. We do an exercise at work all the time that we call it, um, there's three different classifications. It's like, um, but basically it means things are kind of going bad, things are going bad, things are going really bad. And so we have a plan for what works, what it's going to look like in all three of those cases. 
And that plan is, hey, here we're cutting discretionary spending, we're doing this, we're doing that, whatever. Here we're laying off these people, these people, these people. Here, and this is what is called scorched earth, it's like, okay, we're cutting down to the bare, bare bones. So why do we do that in advance? Because in the emotional throes of the moment, you're not thinking logically, you're thinking emotionally. You're thinking with your, you're thinking with your heart, you're not thinking about your, your logical decision. It's very easy to make a logical decision in advance of the emotions. And so the last thing I would tell you, when you're talking about governing your body and you're talking about governing your life, write those decisions down. Make them in advance so when it comes up, you know what the answer is. Does it always work? I'll tell you, it doesn't always work. But it helps. And if you can just avoid the temptation altogether, that's even better. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. If you have a need for the church this afternoon, we'd be glad to help you as we stand and sing the song that Dusty selected. <laughs>